0: I'm Derek Thompson, the host of the podcast, Plain English. We tackle technology, politics, culture, history, everything that's happening in the world and why it matters. New episodes
1: of Plain English drop
0: every Tuesday and Friday on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm.
1: Hello and welcome to group chat. I am Justin Burr. Joining me, as always, Rob Mahoney, and our special guest, graduating from Upside High, ready to talk about actual basketball players. It's Jay Kyle, man. What's up?
3: Well, first of all, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you condescend to? I never pegged you as like a you know an only large market guy. That's I think your personality just creeped out there. You just you're an enemy of small markets and the, and the little man and young players. And I'm just disappointed in you, Justin. Honestly, I'm just shocked. I'm really, I'm really shocked and hurt. I don't even think it's that. I think he's just a lover
1: of
0: higher education. He's ready for you to get that <laughs> diploma, get out in the world. No, happy
3: to be here for sure.
1: I assume that my coastal elitism just like oozes through the Zoom screen here, so I don't even need to say it. Well, you
3: true. are a UConn fan too. Also, that's the thing. There's that kind of elitist thing built in. Don't come at it a UConn fan. I made that up,
1: <laughs> We're just winners, you know. I haven't watched in five years, but I I know that they're okay now. So there's that. Um, Speaking of winners, hey, what do you know? Um, We're going to get into the MVP conversation. We're about like, what, a month and a half out from the end of the season. Uh, So it's a little bit early to talk about the MVP, but I actually think it's more interesting now because there are a lot of probably deserving candidates. Uh, And I feel like now is when people really start to dig into like, the specifics of the conversation, and in particular, after a monster night from John Moran, what was it four, uh, 52 points, the buzzer beater in point four seconds, which I don't even know how that was allowed or like what physics w- were needed in order to get that off. Uh, and obviously the dunk over Purtle, because I think one of the big questions I'm asking myself here, Rob, is. It seems like people, even though they're not willing to say which way they're leaning, the the vibe of the room in in the NBA seems to be leaning toward Jokic. But I asked, do you think that Ja Morant and to a certain extent, DeMar DeRozan, are kind of being discounted in this race in part because there's surprises
0: this year? Is it because there's surprises though or is it the fact that they've come on strong at different stages in the season? right? Like with Mm. DeMar... Has been really good all year long, but really shifted into high gear in February. Like, there's a big recency thing with DeMar DeRozan, for sure. Not that he wasn't already very good. Ja was playing at probably an all-NBA level before he went out of the lineup, and then he really hit a different supernova level in the new year. So I feel like these are kind of recent developments as far as those two guys being MVP candidates. They were absolutely, you know, worthy all-stars, worthy all-NBA discussion but, MVP, like top three, top four, getting on the ballot. that's new for those guys, I think,
3: yeah. And I don't think that it, we can kind of discount how difficult it is to play at that level. The consistency is the thing that separates good players from stars or, you know, or bad players from good players. Consistency is the thing because, you'll have one-off games where guys will go crazy and we'll be like, hey, good for you, pat on the back. But then it's like, it's sort of the the, the warm bathwater thing where it's like we just get so used to it being a certain temperature with some players that we forget how good they actually are. So it's like for guys to kind of put together this consistency, I think that, you know, the f- it, for Morant, Morant is kind of exceeding, Sharks and I talked about this yesterday on Upside High, Go check that out. It's, uh, it's another show on the feed. But uh, we were just saying that you know he he has exceeded. I think even some optimistic evaluations of him that were com- when we were coming into the league and um, the consistency has been the thing that has made us like continue to be like oh like no this actually is for real. So I think it has an inevitable kind of escalation as a result of them continuing to be uh, consistent. It's a great question though. Like how much of it
0: is our kind of anchored bias of figure, like we think John Moran is a particular kind of player. We think DeMar DeRozan is a specific level of player. Historically, we are slow to adapt on stuff like that. And so I, I definitely think it's a worthy thing to wonder, especially as you're filling out the the latter half of your ballot and you're, you're weighing, you know, Ja versus Luca versus LeBron versus, you know, CP, whoever you want to throw into that conversation It gets thorny, and you you do have to investigate your own internal monologue over the course of the season a little bit to figure out where these guys really land.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of times we want guys to earn it first, right? You want to see it in the playoffs uh, before you really mint them as on the level of a top 10, top 25 sort of guy. But like, I'm just looking at the statistical resumes and there's just like you're splitting hairs at this point. There's like if we're talking about the top four, which like for me personally, I think you guys might agree would be Jokic and be DeRozan Morant. And we can talk about anybody else you want to throw in there. But like I look at this and it's really like you know, they're, they're all scoring in the high 20s. Uh, you know, Jokic is obviously dishing out more assists than some of the other guys. And like, they're all, their teams are winning all on the same level. And it's just like, not to get too meta too quickly here, but it's almost like we know so much nowadays that you can make the case for anybody, especially with advanced analytics and like maybe the misuse of advanced uh, numbers here. And it's just like, it's kind of a pick your preference at this point. And I, I just, I feel like it would be, you know, I feel like we need to like give Morant and Rosen uh, a little bit more credit. It almost feels like.
0: So you're saying your brain is just like vibrating with all of the information it has internalized over the last four months that you you've achieved a higher level of seeing through the data to the truth of this thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's why I bring it to this high council to to really like help me through to guide me through the, these tough moments when we're trying to pick out the early MVP winner. Um, Kyle, just in terms of like your look on the race like is it those four guys would you bring in anybody else
3: um i mean there's such a distance between the top two i think we've had just kind of ups and downs like luke obviously lately has been phenomenal he's just been outrageously good um and then but you know Giannis, i think is in there too where Giannis has been pretty terrific throughout the year that's another one where man like the ups and downs of Giannis's like last four years in terms of are penalizing him based on the because the two things are are linked together. You know, if it was just a regular season award, uh, I think we would maybe it, it's just not because we penalize guys for what they do. I remember when we were doing I know we we're working on our like top players list right now. I don't know if I should have spoiled or leaked that, You're but teasing. it Yeah. We were just thinking about uh Giannis last year and I just remember he got dinged really hard for for what had happened in the playoffs. And I think that those things are just kind of connected, uh, regardless of uh, of what we say or do. They are uh, so, but I, I would throw Giannis in there, and, and like um, if you're talking about recently, I think Luca. I guess LeBron's kind of the person that always just hovers in this conversation. He's inevitable, mm-hmm. like Thanos, I guess. But uh, I mean, I guess we're gonna talk more about LeBron. I don't want to jump ahead, but yeah, those are the other two guys that I would just throw in, yeah, you know, off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, I don't think Giannis is just like in the conversation in that capacity. I think he's a top three candidate for me. It's, yeah. it's Embiid and Jokic and Giannis, and then a jump, and then it's okay. Our Jaw and DeRozan and these other guys getting into this mix in a different way. Can they elevate past that barrier? Is my big question for the for the latter stage of the stages of the season.
1: Interesting. So, what differentiates the first group with the other two guys?
0: I mean, I think you have to go case by case a little bit. So, like for example let's look at Giannis versus DeRozan. Mm-hmm. Those are two guys who Giannis replicates or eclipses pretty much all of DeRozan's production. So if you want to make a statistical case, it's kind of hard to start there. And then you have Giannis, who might be the defensive player of the year this season. And Demar is a guy who you have to hide. And so while Demar has been great, and I just don't think it's an insult to say that he's not quite on the level of Giannis,
3: a two-time MVP and reigning
0: champion, you know?
3: I think consistently MVP candidates going forward. I mean, it's been this way in the past, but like it's also I just wanted to say it's pretty wild that we have these three basically center type bodies that are entering still not even entering like the 20, like 28 is typically seen like 28, 29 is seen as like the prime range for these Mm -hmm. guys these size. And we have all three of them, all three international players. I made this point in our like all-star exit survey. I was to, I had to zoom out for a second, and be like, this is like we talk all the time about how this is like a modern like smaller league, but like what a crazy time for centers. Just as an aside, uh, but yeah, Giannis. I mean, I think the two-way aspect of it. Jokic actually has like gained a lot of credibility as a two-way player as of late. Uh, if you look at something like the defensive, I hate defensive catch-all metrics because they're really misleading, but. I'll go ahead and quote one. Uh, I think that he's <laughs> <laughs> he's he's actually kind of come to the top of the league in some of like the defensive like raptor ratings which are which are interesting and uh, I mean that, I don't think that that's just like a total whiff it's an indicator of something whether it's an indicator of like separation between those guys. I mean no, he's not the defender that Giannis is or it's switchable. But I think the fact that he, these guys are like two-way players, they're offensive hubs that like carry not only score their own offense but they like distribute and things. I think that's a clear separator from a guy like DeRozan, who I have a lot of respect for. I mean, real hooper. Can we agree on that? <laughs> uh, but but I think that's the separator. If you're an offensive hub and you can be a two-way player, um, I mean, that's that's just an enormous differentiator for me
1: this is bullshit, but it helps my argument is like the foundation for all of sports journalism. So, so uh, <laughs> we'll accept that here. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it seems like the conversation we're circling is how much do you uh, give a little bit of a boost to the guys who are doing it on defense? And obviously Morant isn't going to contribute much on that. And then Durant and DeRozan isn't as well um, with Giannis, though, Rob, I'm curious, just individually. Yeah. All the metrics suggest that he's still awesome on defense, but like how much do we start knocking him for team success overall and defensive success as a team because they are 13th in the league. They're not a particularly good overall defense this year. The Bucs I'm talking about, obviously.
0: Well, it depends on how you accredit that stuff. Like, do we think that the reason the Bucs are worse on defense is because of anything that is Giannis's fault? And I think the mm-hmm. answer to that is no. It's they don't have Brook Lopez. It's, they, don't have a, they have a differently shaped team. It's, they've had guys in and out of the lineup with injuries. That's the reality of their situation. And Giannis is the you know, seven-foot total anomaly propping up that operation, not what's failing it, ultimately. The the team success thing is interesting because we have these very different perspectives of what the Milwaukee Bucks season has been and what the Chicago Bulls season has been based on our kind of anchoring biases, again, for what what those teams were supposed to be. They are two games apart. I just have a hard time getting... You know, my feathers ruffled over the Bucks being two games worse than the Bulls if we're talking about rewarding DeMar DeRozan for the success of his team, which, again, has been incredible. What he's been able to do in that situation has been incredible. I don't, I don't want to turn this MVP debate into, oh, we have to discredit some of the best players in the leagues to elevate the other best players in the leagues. That's ridiculous. It's just like we're talking about Giannis. We're talking about a guy who can drop a 50-piece in an elimination game. DeMar DeRozan's really good. But he's not that.
3: And I it's it goes back to the like you can't disconnect the postseason from the regular season because the Bucks are in a run now going back to, you know, twenty eighteen, I guess, was when they started making like serious playoff runs and were like fantastic, you know, running like the perfect lap, like uh whatever it is, the uh Ford versus Ferrari thing. You know, they were they were like really setting out to make a statement in the regular season. And, you know, they did that a couple of times and hit a wall in the playoffs. Well, it's like they got over that hump. They've had several years in a row now of playing like lots of games in calendar years. And it's, it's like, okay, yeah, they're, they're behind Chicago. Okay. That's just like, that's what like repeat championship teams do. They have to kind of, you can't go balls to the wall constantly year after year after year. You It's like, I, I'm willing to give them a little bit of, of, of slack, you know, on that front for that for that reason, I think. And like what Rob said, is true. Like their inconsistency in terms of Giannis's defensive kind of interaction with def- the defensive anchor is really important to their defense because he's so good and so switchable that it's nice to have that rim protector to come in there and to kind of clean up. Um, do you remember from like Arrested Development, there was this part where I, like anytime the cops would show up, there'd be a dog pile. And then there'd be one person who would come in after the dog <laughs> yes. pile with the, with the billy club. I was like, that's kind of like what the Bucks defense is like. It's like, okay, it's like they're going to stop you. But then they have this big who's going to swoop in after Giannis has made like a crazy great defensive positional play and, and hit them with the <laughs> hit them with the billy club at the end of the possession. And they've lacked that. And I think that's made a big difference.
1: Yeah. See, this brings me back to Morant, though, because what we're saying is we're giving Giannis and the Bucks credit for their past success where this is a award about the regular season. And I, I just look at the standings here. It's like at a certain point, like I do think this has to matter a good deal in the conversation where the Grizzlies are 43 and 20 right now. They're now a half a game behind the Warriors for second best record in the West and the second best record in the NBA. Like how much, like shouldn't we be uh, applauding that and the best player on that team rather than like giving Giannis the credit, for saving himself for the bigger goal at the end of this big race, right?
0: To clarify, this is not a lifetime achievement award. Giannis is averaging 29, (laughs) 11, and six. Like, I think even if we, like, remove the playoffs from your memory, just look at what their play has been this season. Giannis has been better than John Morant. That's not a narrative thing. That's not, like, again, our past biases hovering over us. Giannis is a better player. He's a two-way player. He is a dominant force on every single possession. John Morant is wonderful. He, but he's not six eleven affecting the ball on both sides the way that Giannis is. He's just not.
1: But offensively, I mean, I, I guess you kind of have to like grade on a curve here. We we're not expecting John Morant to be a like destructive defensive force. He's playing the role that he's assigned to his individual team, It just so happens that he's like surrounded by a, a pretty good defensive team and Jaron Jackson and all his other guys. Like. I would argue what he's doing, like just rises above what he's expected to do. And in some level, like that has to matter.
0: It does matter, and it'll get you <laughs> first team all NBA guard. But like if you're if you're grading guys relative to their role, like let's mm. get Robert Williams into the MVP conversation, <laughs> right? <you know?
1: laughs> I, I just think Morant's offensive, like just repertoire, his bag, as the kids say, is just one of the most unbelievable things in the league right now. Just the, the craftiness he's displaying at the rim is like like prime Kyrie, and like just just seeing that like I feel like that's as much of a a, a thing you have to game plan against as you do for everything that Giannis has to do. Everything like he's going to do just physically and on the defensive. It I, I I don't know. I, I feel like that is ultimately perhaps the biggest barometer is like, what do teams have to game plans against? And I think you have to really, really, really worry about John ja Morant because if you're just having Jakob Pertle guard him on the perimeter, like you're going to get 50 dropped on you.
3: Yeah, and I think some of this is stylistic, like the way the regular season games are played. I think that in a playoff series, you know, of course, Giannis and Ja kind of run up against some similar things. Um, it's It's interesting what you were saying just about like, like entering in like aesthetics and like his appeal was I was I hearing you correctly on that? Just like that almost sounded like should we have like a pop movie in the Oscars type thing? I don't I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you're look if you're looking at like what Giannis does um, as it applies to winning, I mean, like Rob said, I think it's just wider spanning. Like it, it sucks that we get in these situations where we're like. Well, it's not Morant, therefore Morant has to, you know, sit on the trap door that falls to hell. Like we just, we hate him now. It's like no, it's like Morant's fantastic. He's been unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I, I think Giannis is like the range of his impact is just it's phenomenal. Like, and, mm-hmm. and I and I agree that I don't think that there's I don't think that we're suffering from lifetime achievement. I I think that we do have to factor that in whenever we're looking at what the team's doing. I think it's just like. I don't know. This lives in the space between like not we're not going to like overly penalize his team for what they're doing, but we're also giving credit to these other teams for what they're doing. And it just kind of falls in the space between. And then we and then we measure them. I don't know. It's 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 complicated. It is. Mm -hmm. It's just really complicated.
0: Thank you for opening my mind to the fact that John Morant is the NBA Spider-Man no way home. (laughs) Incredible. Incredible. (laughs) He is kind of
3: Spider-Man too. Like in a way, you know, Bendy flies around. Yeah. Uh,
1: So, Rob, who do you have? at the top of your list. If you have those three bigs, Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, do you have Giannis one? No. I increasingly find myself
0: falling into the Jokic category here. And some of it is just like, for me, it's really Jokic and Embiid, and Giannis is kind of the third guy in that conversation. And when you start comparing Jokic and Embiid specifically, when you stack up their cases side by side, I feel Embiid getting boxed out because Jokic has been a more efficient player this season. Much more efficient on twos, all the big man stuff for starters, in part because he's been, he's having one of the most efficient two-point shooting seasons ever. Mm. He's just as good as Embiid from three, for as good as Embiid has been from that range. And for as much as Embiid has improved as a passer, you're comparing him to the best passing big man we've ever seen. And so if Embiid were head and shoulders better defensively, if the Sixers were dramatically better than the Nuggets, I could see the case but Jokic has been the most comprehensive shot creator in the NBA all season long. That counts for me. And what, like, again, the edges over Embiid are where that conversation starts to tilt.
3: I think it's, it's difficult, too, to... When we go into these conversations, we always have to kind of agree to, like, a shared philosophy of what is valuable. And it's like... Mm -hmm. yes like if you just look at like total balance of like shot creation like rob said rob said all those things and it's like that makes total sense but but really i was thinking today about like we do like to think of basketball in this idealistic way where it's like yes you score and you pass and this is the correct way to do it but it's like at the end of the day If the ball goes in the basket, you know, that's like, that is the goal. And it's like, did we really penalize Embiid for being such an incredible foul generator, for being such an incredible, like, just powerful presence? And it got me thinking about like the 2002 Kings Lakers series where we all year, people praised. The King, that Kings team for being like it was a like, ball movement. This is fun. This is the way it should be done. And then they get into the playoffs, and the Lakers, another team, who were like kind of laying around, just like okay, now we got to get up. They were the, the lazy lion in the cage. Like now we got to get up and, and hunt. um And then Shaq averages like thirty, you know, thirty-five points and just puts them in the basket. It's like at the end of the day, I, I'm just like posing this to you guys. It's like sh- do you do you think that we should? should we have like a shared philosophy about this? Does it matter? Or, or you know, in that dynamic between Embiid, is, is Embiid so good or good enough at what he does that he could ever overcome like the balance and the widespreadness of, of what Jokic does? Like, if that makes sense. Uh, the shared philosophy thing, I just think is interesting.
0: He's absolutely good enough. There's no question about that. Like Embiid would be a totally worthy winner. But when you're talking about like the, again, the, aggregate impact of that kind of scoring that you're talking about, the fact that he can score on pretty much anyone, that he can get buckets, they can get free throws on pretty much anyone, that should show in the team's offense when he's on the floor, for example. And the Nuggets are a better offensive team when Jokic is on the floor than the Sixers are with Embiid. And I would like to read for you (laughs) the players who have played with Nikola Jokic the most this season because they are Aaron Gordon, Monte Morris, Will Barton, Jeff Green, Austin Rivers, Faku Campazzo, there is not a Tyrese Maxi level player in the bunch there, much less a you know Tobias Harris, much less now going forward James Harden. The
2: yeah, Pozo
3: w- has coming after you. <laughs> <one, but, laughs> yeah, I was uh. gonna say.
1: Um, yeah, but I mean, it's not like Maxi's on the level of of like Kyrie Irving. You know, it's not like he was playing with a with a big three while Jokic was just toiling with like the first LeBron era Calves.
0: But you know who he ain't? And I say this with all due respect is Jeff Green. Like, this is the reality of what the Nuggets day-to-day life is. And that's a a team that's on a 48-win pace. That's an MVP season. At least an MVP level season if you want to give it to them or not.
1: I think this is where it almost becomes a race to diminish the other best players supporting cast. Like, and it becomes a really weird conversation. It's almost like you want them to play with good teammates but not great teammates. Yeah. And... I think this gets increasingly complicated for Embiid from this point going forward because now he is playing with James Harden, a recent MVP winner. And I do wonder how much we're going to start to diminish whatever Embiid does, especially if stylistically it's going to be an absolute slog for everyone who who tunes in. Um, Like, how much does Embiid kind of like sacrifice the MVP in order to be a bigger factor in the title race?
3: I don't know that I don't know how much his numbers are actually going to take a a, a hit. Uh, I was I was going to say like if you compared, um, I wanted to say something about Jokic too. That he you know he's plus twenty two point five, which is even higher than last year. So I mean that's pretty impressive. But I also was curious like what would happen if these guys switch teams? Like what what would what would the Nuggets look like with Embiid? I mean that's a question. There's a lot of stuff wrapped up in that. I mean you you make roster decisions based on what you have, but I feel like you could. I'm going to talk out of two sides, both sides of my mouth here. I know that, like <laughs> the philosophy thing, I I think that like total impact on winning, total impact um, on on sh- creating shots, good shots, and then being able to score in a variety of different ways. I mean, Jokic is one of the most skilled players on the planet, regardless of size, right now. Um, and I think that you could plug him into any, time, any team in the world. I, I, he's one of those just people that adjusts value. LeBron has been like this at different times in his career where you can just plug any piece into them, and, and their previous value is bumped up just by playing with him because he enables people that much. So he's, he's number one for me right now.
2: This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, It was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy.
1: Just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month.
2: This episode is brought to you by Nissan. Level up your next four-wheeled adventure with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, built to navigate you to some of Earth's most awe-inspiring spots with seven drive modes and all the power you need. Get the thrill of the drive in every moment of your journey with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Learn more at nissanusa.com.
1: Well, I do want to talk about the Sixers here quickly, just before we move on. Um, Just in terms of what you've seen thus far, Rob, does it seem like Embiid is going to be like fed as much as he has in before Harden days? Or do you think things are going to change for him?
0: Fed is an interesting word because I think there's less (laughs) For Harden specifically? (laughs) Well, no. (laughs) There's less direct spoon feeding, right? There's less put and beat on the block. Let's just feed him and feed him and feed him and space out to the best degree we can. There's going to be less of that just by virtue of what they have now. But he's still going to get a ton of touches. Still going to get a ton of rolls. Still going to get a ton of easy baskets, deep catches. You know, we saw even even cases where he wasn't the screener for Harden. He was just kind of like ducking in and transition and getting free throws, getting layups out of those situations. So I think we're going to see, as Kyle alluded to, numbers that are pretty comparable from what we've seen so far. Maybe different in some ways. Maybe if his efficiency ticks up. Maybe his free throw attempts fluctuate. But ultimately, I think he's going to be putting up MVP no- numbers either way and is going to be as dominant as ever just because the, the quality of the passes coming to him are, I mean, it's jumped exponentially with Harden's arrival.
3: It's it's always hard when, within the first sample size. I think you have to put like a you know a big asterisk next to it because teams obviously need to regroup and think about it. But when you blindside them with something like the Sixers, I have um, it's it's a very rare moment in in basketball to to have two forces join up like that in the in the middle of a season like this. But I think that the point that Rob made was good about the fact that and Bede has, based on roster construction, I think Simmons played into some of this in the past, Ben Simmons, um, that he was always sort of being fed and and then like the offense was sort of rippling out from there. But the fact that we're, we're seeing him, I think we were stupid to think that he was incapable of rolling. I mean, he's one of the most graceful athletic guys for his size ever. So I don't know. I just saw some of that out there. I was even guilty, or guilty of wondering but uh, if he was capable of doing that. But the fact that we're seeing him sort of Even the duck ends, like Rob mentioned, where another play is going on, like Harden commands that much gravity. So then you have like Embiid operating in these situations where he's not the focus and then still giving you all those like intangible things like his passing, which won't be as moving from like a stagnant, like catching it, double comes, things like that those things are probably going to be improved because he's never played with another player this good, that space is like this. Uh, it's kind of, it's just terrifying, honestly, is my point. It's terrifying to think of of what Embiid is going to be doing now from this different sort of offensive flow. And I made the point that, like, he and Harden separately, Rob and I were joking about this. I had this stat that I was just dying to pop off about, that they play, they both play slow. Um, mm. They both play the highest percent, like, in the league, uh, second spectrum measures. I've been on, like on a big like speed kick lately. Not like taking speed. I'm thinking about it, <laughs> but the uh, <laughs> I, I have an 18 now, month yeah. old. I'm thinking about speed, so we'll see. But yeah. uh, no, it's like they track like wh- what percentage of your time do you spend playing slow, medium, and fast? And the, in the league, the players that have spent the most of their time playing slow is Embiid and Harden, and they're playing together. But set, you know, together they're like powers combined. Uh, it just creates something. Um, I've been just mesmerized by it. Honestly, uh, it's been really, really fascinating. I thought I would hate it, but uh, I'm I'm really. It's got to be daunting to think about defending them in a playoff series. Is my is my overall point? I think.
0: Yeah, to really answer your question, Justin, you have to feed and be less, but <laughs> you put out the spread and just let him graze all day at his
3: leisure. You know, <laughs> so we've got he's gonna Michael. eat one way or another
1: we got a full substation, but we're also in, like, a field, I guess. <laughs> right, uh, right. Um... Yeah, no, it's, it's been devastating watching them together. I, I guess both uh, for other opponents and also as a watcher, like oh, good come Lord, on. these games are going to be four hours long. But like, I guess this is Maury's fever dream, right? This is like literally watching someone play blackjack and you just have two of the best card counters in the league just going after it. And it's like, it's going to be effective. It's going to be very, very effective. Uh, but I, I don't know. It's just, it definitely takes a certain type of fan to, to love this. Um,
0: you're saying Philly's scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could do this. <laughs> yeah. They didn't stop to think whether they
1: should. Right. I mean, Harden seems to be on his best behavior right now. He seems yeah. particularly deferential and you see just like the power of that. Like, I think you forget just considering, uh, all of the step backs and all of like the dramatics that led to his ouster in, in Brooklyn, like how good awesome of a passer he is and like how good he is just as like a pure point guard and just having that guy set up and beat and being able to play off of him and and shoot off the catch and do everything he does uh, off of another player like it's going to be effective I I never worried about the fit like I think at this point we've had enough Superstar pairings or big threes to realize that really great players figure something out. I do worry down the road when Harden isn't playing for his next contract and like like the a full 82 game season where it's like the interpersonal stuff probably matters more uh, like let's see. But for now, it seems like this is going to work. And I, I mean, uh, we're getting off track from MVP, but I am curious what you guys are thinking, Rob. Like, do you think like six, the Sixers are automatically in the top, top tier of the title race at this point?
0: I think we need a little more time just to see how some of this stuff susses out and like the synergies between those two guys and Maxi, who's been really great off the ball, attacking out of the corners. doing Like he's, he's fit really well alongside Harden so far. But I'm I'm very curious to see how their games continue to amplify each other. And the free throw thing is part of that. We've seen Harden in the past, whenever he's paired with another star, really, and especially a free throw drawing star, there's just a synergy there where those guys are getting into the bonus so quickly. We saw it with Dwight Howard. We saw it with Chris Paul. Just like the ability to help each other in that particular way. And now it's almost reversed, where before, it was like Harden was able to draw so many fouls on the perimeter earlier in his career by just ripping through guys, he could help his teammates get to the line later in the bonus. Now, it's almost the opposite where Embiid gets called for so many non, or gets so many non-shooting fouls as a big man, just like by the virtue of the way that bigs are officiated in the NBA, that Harden driving and getting more fouls is gonna help Embiid get to the line even more on those quote-unquote non-shooting fouls
3: they are going to be stylistically incredibly rigid to play in a playoff series. Because if you come into a, a series against them thinking we're going to dictate style, the fouls really disrupt that. I mean, that's an underrated thing about the stoppages in play. And then you think about, okay, we'll get them out. Like, uh, like the, the Viper and the mountain and game of Thrones, we'll get them out in the open. We'll move them around. And you know, I went into a Kentucky accent there. I don't know why, but I think <laughs> that um, they're going to, they're going to just be so difficult to stylistically impose your will on because of, their physicality because of the ripple effect that the like polarity between those two stars is going to work really well as we've already seen, but they're, they're going to be able to get into a set defense. Um, I think defense is kind of a question, I guess, like guarding the ball, things like that are going to be questions for them. But, um, you know, it, Stiebel, obviously still there, but Maxie, I think has room to improve as like an on-ball defender. I'm getting sidetracked there, but I think that stylistically, they're going to be a big pain in the ass. I I, I think that it it depends on what you think, like the tier, tier implies, I guess it could be anywhere from like two to however many, I mean, I think that they're in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I do.
1: Yeah. It is funny that the rap on Harden is that like, maybe he doesn't get the calls in the playoffs and what does he do at that point? And Maury's response was to double down on that. And it's just like, just try not to call it on both of these guys, especially when one guy is like one and like 200 whatever pounds and like is going to just bump into guys and get 20 free throws based on that. Um, I'm glad you brought up Maxi though, because he's just like, not only from like just a playing standpoint, just seems like a, a, a shot in the arm. Like the type of good vibes guy you need on a team when two like giant ego superstars are kind of coming together. Uh, really like, Mario Chalmers in Miami vibes if everybody actually liked Mario Chalmers and it wasn't that they all ragged on him so much that that brought them together. It just seems like Maxie's the guy that connects everybody. um, He's he's more important than I thought he would be because I thought he would fall more into an ancillary role with those two guys.
0: Well, he's found a good balance so far between taking the threes that he gets because he's been a 40% three-point shooter this season and then attacking out of those very quick reacting spots when the defense is closing on you. And honestly, Harden hasn't played with a lot of those guys. You know, there's been a lot of cases where the players you put around him are spacers, are quick shooters who can beat that close, but not a lot of guys who are attacking, which is what made like Eric Gordon so valuable in Houston, for example. And so Maxi seems to be tapping into that, but he's much younger, he's much faster, very explosive going to the basket, has a nice like floater, mid-range kind of combination game. I think he he could find a really nice lane here that alleviates a lot of his limitations as a playmaker. He doesn't have to be that guy running the show for you. He just gets to be dynamic as hell in a supporting role, which is exactly where he should be right now.
3: That's the bingo right there. Is that the the question that was dictating, you know, Max the question about Maxi coming into the league? And it has been like throughout his development is like okay, can this guy transition into a primary role? And he's always been a little more score first. It's like if he's going to be on ball. The good thing is that like during that time before Harden came, he got some of those reps, which were great for him. I think it's going to be good experience for him. You're smiling at me, Justin. I don't know why you're well, making me nervous. We talked yeah. about
1: a young player. And I could just see the light in your
3: eyes. Just just. Let Daddy cook. No, I think that like Maxi's a guy I have watched for a while. Obviously, so it's like it's shifting like what Rob says is true. I think shifting him into a role where he's operating off of two guys with like immense gravity, uh, great athletes in the NBA. If they can play with stars and like and have like that kind of kinetic energy like that, dealing with Maxi off the catch when you're like in the gap trying to help off of like James or or Joel. He's that much more annoying and you take the pressure off of that kind of developmental question of like, can he be a primary guy in small doses? Yeah, I still think he can, but you're not going to be depending on him. It's a great situation for him. I think that he's the type of player. This, this is the type of situation that works for his player type. The best I think playing off of stars like this. So mm-hmm. do we have Maxi fourth or fifth MVP? <laughs> right. Uh, I had him third. Flirting with third. Yeah. Flirting with third, I think. yeah.
1: Um, let's talk about DeRozan because we didn't really talk about him much. Um, where does he factor in for you, Rob, uh, on your master list? The reason DeRozan gets really interesting, especially oh, no. when you... No, no, no. Especially You're when you You're going to diminish comp- him. Don't do it.
0: I'm actually not. Okay. Especially when you compare him to the bracket of guys that I'm thinking about, which is mostly Ja and Giannis is kind of where he is. When you look at a team like Milwaukee, by the numbers, Milwaukee is a better offense and defense than Chicago. They should have a better record by, than the Bulls by the numbers, but they don't. And the reason they don't is DeMar DeRozan, is because he's been so unbelievable in crunch time that he's bailed them out of games they really shouldn't have won. And so if you want to attribute success to one player, crunch time is a very good way to do it. Very clear, very like, obvious delineations, very easy to assign credit for who makes a game-winning shot. The problem is, like, how much, how much credit do you want to put on the last three to four minutes of a game, and how much do you want to put on the first 44? Not Again, DeRozan's very good in those minutes, but if we're talking about th- that as his case, is it enough? Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, it's a, a really strong uh, argument for him. I'm just not sure if it's enough to get him over some of these other guys, but he's, he's been incredible, and especially incredible in those situations.
3: Yeah, I think the the ability to take offensive potency like that and then like I call it gravity flipping like the ability to share based on the on on what you're what you're providing. I think that's the threshold really between MVP and like All-NBA and mm. you know All-NBA You know, there's how many 400 players in the NBA. It's nothing to sneeze at. That's an incredible accomplishment. But I think that you know the 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 types of players that can do what we were talking about, like distribute and score at a high level efficiently, it's a rare thing, and those people deserve to win MVP. And I don't think that it's I don't think that it means DeRozan isn't having the best career or the best season of his career. He is, Um, but to me, that's where the threshold is, and it doesn't quite cross it as as incredible as he's been. So,
0: his crawl into this conversation for me has not been from fifth into first or second it's been from is he gonna be on the ballot to now i think we're gonna have a very hard time keeping him off of it he's been he's been so good he kind of has to be there at this point which is not something i expected even two months ago but his february there just aren't that many guys in the league who have had an extended stretch like that at any point this season
1: yeah i think it's the closest we're gonna get to kobe in the modern NBA, just like watching him out there. I know this is sacrilegious for a lot of people, but just like the mid range game, the post ups, he's a little bit more physical probably than Kobe, but just like watching the footwork and watching him isolate on guys is just it's, it's mind-blowing sometimes what he's been able to do. And like I do think there's something to give him credit for, like being able to have the success uh, in an era where people are going away from this. He, he basically willed this style of play to being relevant yet again. I think that's a big credit to him. Um, I also was looking at second spectrum, Kyle. Uh, and in terms of isolation... Welcome aboard. I know. Uh, DeRozan is best in isolation points per chance among the 20 players with 300 plus isolations, which is better than Kevin Durant. So he's, he's literally the best isolation player. And I do think there's something you you have to give credit to for the best player who can score one-on-one against anybody in the league. And like, for that reason, he's definitely on my ballot, but I, I think you guys bring up some, some good examples of, of why he didn't. And it's really tough to make this case also, like after the bulls were kind of blitzed by the heat, uh, just the other night. That's probably where the bigger context comes into play, right? Where it's like, yes, I, I do want to give Morant probably more credit than some other people. But like, I, I do think if you're looking at the big scheme of the league, like the Grizzlies probably have a good chance, if not like just a, a small chance of making the Western Conference Finals. I don't see the Bulls at that point, especially because a lot of guys are hurt and whatnot. But like, they're a good story for the regular season. I don't know if we start comparing them to some of these other teams. They're on that level.
0: Yeah, I think the Grizzlies have a significantly better chance of making the conference finals than the Bulls do, to whatever extent that matters in this conversation. But really, the reason why DeRozan and Jaw and some of these other guys are getting into this conversation in a big way is specifically the top seeds in both conferences right now, the Heat and the Suns. There's just such diffusion of credit. There's so, they're such balanced teams. There's so many different stakeholders you could attribute their success to that they don't have a definitive MVP candidate. And so then it's like, oh, well, now we're going to look at Jokic. We're going to look at Embiid. We're going to look at some of these guys who are playing on teams seated from, you know, second and third all the way down to maybe sixth. It opens the conversation up in a big way that some years it's just slam shut. Some years the Warriors are on historic pace and Steph Curry is so good. There's no not really a conversation to be had. This year, there definitely is one.
1: Mm-hmm. Do we need to talk about Steph at all? We can get into some of these other guys uh, to consider here. I mean, he was probably the runaway for the first, two months and then all of a sudden just fell into a deep chasm where he's having the worst shooting season uh in his career um it's been brutal lately i don't know if you guys saw the game against the wolves last night but like things aren't going well and i didn't, I haven't heard a timeline on when draymond's coming back and they desperately need him
3: yeah i mean he's been in the lull last last year i mean he was just so like stratospheric just supernova incredible this year just hasn't been able to do that for this or that reason I mean Draymond and Draymond and Steph have a dynamic uh where they 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 really need each other to you know to like Draymond's ability to like you know make like we were talking yesterday on our show about like connected playmaking like ball reversals like timely quick secondary passes Steph just thrives on that kind of stuff and without Draymond it's like you can run the same offense but you know, the personnel does matter, and I think that does impact him. And and not to mention just uh, it makes his sh- shots tougher. It just kind of ripples down the line. And, you know, he was hunting for the the record there for a little bit. I don't think that that's totally the reason that this is going on. I think there's sort of an amalgam of reasons. But he definitely does need Draymond. It's just uh, he he hasn't been – he's been fantastic, but just not quite as fantastic this season. <laughs> Well, especially when you get into the other guys who could get into
0: this conversation, like if we want to throw LeBron in there, which I think he's, a, a, you know, has, has a decent case to get in on the back end of the ballot. And then Luca, especially, who's just been sensational over the last month or so to the point where he, he might make a run at the John Morant, DeMar DeRozan tier of players if he continues to, not even on this pace, that would be unreasonable to expect, but anywhere close to that, he could be in that in that group.
3: How about uh, how about Luca in the fourth quarter of that Lakers Mavericks last night that game? Going calling for, calling for the switch with LeBron. Yeah. I was like, it, it was like when it, I was thinking about uh, that once upon a time in Hollywood thing where they were like, yeah, that you need to have the show where you beat the vil- the, the star <laughs> from before. I was like. He was like literally waving, like "Bring me LeBron at Luca." Good Lord, man! I mean, just the the stones on that kid, like he he, and just going at him uh, over and over and over again. Um, and LeBron, what's funny is LeBron really likes to elevate his game when he goes against Luca. I've noticed over the years that uh, I just thought that was uh, Luca. Luca has that that it thing where he just is just totally fearless against uh, against the the best of the best. Yeah, thought that was wild.
1: Yeah, he has the opposite. I guess problem as Steph, where it's like he had such a slow start. Like, do we forget about the two or so months where we like everyone was talking about how much he needed to play into shape uh, and, and like recognize the brilliance of like what he's doing? Basically, when they got rid of uh, his most talented team and just surrounded him with a, just a bunch of average guys to fill out like two lineups worth, it's just like it's it's wild. Um, and on the other side of that, like part of LeBron's case, I think. Comes down to like the roles he's been willing to accept while all of these injuries are occurring around him, in particular, playing center when they need him to desperately. Uh, and like when you see it there last night, it's just like, it's really hard to be like, oh my God, he's playing center on defense. Like what a sacrifice. And then seeing just like him just getting absolutely cooked on the ball. It's just like, maybe not anymore. I think
0: you just made an argument for Luca, though, which is the real MVP is the guy who enjoys his summer.
2: <laughs> yeah i'm on
3: i'm not gonna let it fuck my summer up that whole thing yeah i mean it's like one of my friends made the point that my buddy ben taylor who runs the site but I, I have to credit him because i'm stealing this uh he he was saying that basically what luca was doing was when he was you know heavier in the beginning of the season was like when you have the donut on the baseball bat when you're like warming up in the in the batter's box he was like and then he he was it was a challenge so then he takes the donut off and then he can really swing mm. the bat is kind of the thing, you know. it's a, he, he It was it was on purpose is the point, I think.
1: Yeah. My conspiracy theory is he actually didn't thin out. He actually just grew facial hair. And as someone who knows that trick, who has facial hair, like, respect. It's a move. You know, it's just like, <laughs> eat that extra ice cream because you got a little bit of padding there, my friend. I'll um, grow a
3: beard. It's okay. <laughs> I'll have this fried rice at 10 a.m. It's cool. It's called yeah. margin
1: for error. Um, yeah. No, but let's talk about LeBron just briefly here because like... I mean, the the stats are incredible, like even amongst this awful stretch where they've been six and 15 uh, since January 7th and they haven't won back to back games in that stretch, which is now like, what, two months, (laughs) Uh, which is really, really brutal. He's twenty nine, nine and six. And so it's like he's doing everything he can. Uh, and I think this is an extreme example of what we were talking about before. It's like you know, a guy's individual brilliance is what we're trying to recognize here. There's only so much we could do, hold him uh, like his team's failure against him. I guess it's a little more more complicated when you pick Russell Westbrook as as your running mate and the guy who's supposed to spell you when you want to sit. But like, I don't know, LeBron is still incredible, Rob. So like, I, like how, should he be on this ballot?
0: I mean, not executive of the year ballot. But this one, I think, is totally (laughs) fair. (laughs) I I mean, he's what he's been able to do at this stage in his career, 37 years old, and I I mentioned earlier that that, uh, Jokic is having one of the best two-point shooting seasons ever, high-volume two-point shooting seasons ever. LeBron, 37-year-old LeBron, not that far behind him, right Mm -hmm. up there with historical numbers inside the arc. And that's, for him, some transition play, but a lot of turnaround jumpers, a lot of tough, tough shots against a lane that is clogged and a a defense that is completely oriented to him because they sure as hell are not oriented to Russell Westbrook right now. So what he's been able to do under those circumstances absolutely deserves mentioning, recommendation, consideration for an award like this one, for getting on the ballot for something like this. It's just going to be hard for him to be a serious contender with the Lakers, as bad as they are. With some of the caveats in their performance that again are not really his fault. The question of the the story of the Lakers all season is like which of these guys and which of these lineups and which of these coaching decisions are failing LeBron, basically. He's he has been that good and is that deserving of that kind of framework.
3: When he was younger, he athletically could like meld and sort of a compensate for the shortcomings of his roster. I think the the way he was able to play. And I think the age thing has to it has to factor into this. I mean, not in terms of like giving him a bump, like wow, good job, 37-year-old. Uh no, I mean it's like it, it, we have to kind of look at this in a vacuum. But like he's just at a stage now where he is less able to do that stylistically. And I think the absence of or just, you know, Anthony Davis, my guy, has just not even when he's been there has been frustrating and he just hasn't been there lately. And I think he's at the point where he actually needs someone else to pull a little more weight for his impact to kind of be uh more substantial. Uh, he can rack those counting stats up all day. It's just, I, I think in terms of like impacting winning the stage of the career of his career that he's at, he really needs it. He needs that other star more than ever. And, and he, and you know, Davis just not being there. I think it is is a huge part of this. I mean, obviously. Yeah. So. Do you guys buy
0: into, the narrative at all that he is he racks up some of those counting stats in minutes that don't exactly matter i've seen i've seen some criticism have you looked at this i haven't looked at this i haven't really dug deep into it i've more heard you know you get the occasional message you see some stuff going around about like oh it's the fourth quarter the lakers are down 18 points of course lebron's gonna have a big first eight minutes of the fourth quarter before he gets pulled it's just kind of the way the rhythm of some of these games has gone i i I don't know that I care one way or another, to be honest with you. Again, it's like the shortcomings of the team are not his fault. I, we, yeah. know he, we know he can put up numbers. We know he can be incredibly productive. His effect, is, he is the only thing keeping that team from sinking to the very bottom of the ocean. I have a hard time being swayed by something like that, to be honest with you.
1: I mean, LeBron can set up a jungle gym on the court for the last five minutes and just like have himself a little party. Like he could do whatever he wants. It's like we should not be knocking LeBron for <laughs> the Lakers issues here, um, which is a good segue because I do want to talk about the Lakers as a whole just very quickly, because as we're recording, we? as we're coming off. of. Must what? we, Justin? Yeah, no, because it's just too delicious. Um, <laughs> I think this is what third straight loss coming out of the all-star break uh, and Russ looks somehow worse than ever before. Uh, it's really, really bad. I, I know like there's been a lot of talk of Russ accepting kind of like a Draymond role. Uh, the ringer in particular has been driving this bus, but like I'm watching and I'm like, Russ isn't even Draymond on offense, man. There, he's just like walking into these, these pull-up jumpers and they're just completely off the mark. He was 5 for 17 last night and 0 for 4 from 3 only taking two free throws, like not even getting to the line in order to generate some easy buckets. So it's like, he's c- clearly on tilt. He's talking about it in post-game pre- press conferences where he's just like, he doesn't know what's wrong, but it's on him. And like, it's getting sad at this point, Kyle. And and, and so I, I almost wonder like, would it be better just like not playing him if only for like a week or two just to get him like back on track?
3: Ugh, I don't know about like the not playing him. I I mean, it, it's just going to be such a massive story if you don't obviously but then you know there's they don't really have many options either it's like you either i, I think rolling the dice and hoping that he can I, I, that he can return to some semblance of form i never enjoyed the the semblance of form in the past so it's not a win for me either way but i think that there is a difference between playing like skill development and playing on the ball and offense is either either you're scoring or you're passing to somebody else there's a difference between that And playing off the catch and making those little passes because you have to kind of do the other things and you also have to do those other things like you know you have to pull defenders towards you as like a credible shooter which he is not he's like the worst volume three-point shooter the most parroted stat of the past 10 years maybe but you just think he just hasn't been able to to assume that someone could jump into the draymond role and be that sort of fulcrum playmaker is to you know draymond's able to do that because he's so efficient at, at like knowing what are his shots that is just famously russ's thing he just doesn't know what his shots are so in order to be have a high impact like that i just don't think he's going to be able to do it and i don't think they ever should have traded him to begin with when i saw the trade i was horrified um mm-hmm. and and we talk about like is is lebron responsible for the offense he man he can't help it he's on this crappy i mean on some level based on what you hear i mean is he not kind of responsible <laughs> for the situation he's in I ask you guys. Jeannie Buss well, says
1: yes. <laughs> I mean, definitively.
0: Let's talk about that Draymond role thing for a second, though, because Kyle, I think you zeroed in on something that's pretty important about whether players can really adapt into that space if they haven't done it for the majority of their career, which I think even that question probably glosses over the fact that Draymond Green is like a 99th percentile NBA history processor of basketball mm-hmm. in terms of what is happening on the floor Asking anyone to be him is unfair. Unfair to the role and the circumstance. Like, we can say, oh, this guy could be a short role playmaker for us. He can do some of these things. He could be a Draymond in some capacity. But even if we're just talking about offense, Draymond's worst side of the ball by far, what he sees on the floor is different than almost anybody out there. And the contrast with Russell Westbrook could not be more stark, as, as Kyle laid out.
1: Yeah. That was the thing that jumped out at me last night. Like he's, he's been off the mark with his jump shot for a very long time, but some of the passes were just dumb. Like he was just doing things. I'm just like, what is going on here? He's almost like he's on tilt, and, and the post game preference press conference kind of alludes to it where it's just like, maybe he's just in a bad space at this point. Um, But I don't know. Yeah, I I never figured that would be something that you would be overly concerned with with Russ. There's just so many things that come before that. You're like, oh, at the very least, you know, you can make a couple of nice passes a game. But like, it was brutal. But not all passing
0: is created equal. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's something that we, we get into too easily. Is like there's guys like LeBron, guys like Jokic. They can pass from anywhere. Russell Westbrook for his entire career has trained himself going 100 miles an hour downhill very good at finding his shooters, finding dump-off passes, you know, throwing it over his head to a trailing alley-oop dunker behind him. Very good at that stuff historically. But now you're asking him to pass from a completely different space on the floor in a lot of these situations, totally different context, without the athleticism he used to have, the burst he used to have. He's not drawing defenses the way he used to. He's not even playing the same game anymore, frankly, from the player he was earlier in his career and the circumstances from which he was passing.
3: Yeah, and to be the be the type of passer that we're talking about, like to be that to do utilize those like you know, he talked about on the JJ Redick podcast about like he was obsessed with ball reversals, you can see that. But in in order to like capitalize on ball reversals and things like that, you're going to need you're going to need a roster a that has a lot of shooters, a that has a lot of cutters. You're going to need to have a lot of movement. Well, they go out and sign a roster with dudes who are like all as old as me. I mean, it literally is like the same age as like my pickup group. It's like, uh, So I'm just saying it's not a roster built with like movement and cutting in mind. So I I think that that, all those things factor in. I think maybe ideally they thought, you know, in, in these stints where LeBron is sitting, like we were talking about, Russ can come in and just kind of be a version of Russ in the past. And uh, the roster, it just isn't really even built for that. So it's all these things, they affect each other. It's inevitable. Kyle, are you like the Malik Monk of your
0: pickup group? I could see that game (laughs) for you.
1: Um... (laughs) <laughs> are you more like the russell westbrook of the pickup crew?
3: uh i'm a shooter i've evolved into accepting that i can't you know just you know jack them up as con- consistently but um i like to shoot yeah i'm a shooter for sure
1: <laughs> okay rob what are you
0: i'm a little of everything i'm an i'm an every <laughs> i'm also a person who hasn't played pickup basketball in two years uh so we'll see when i get back out there right so you send you, us you some tape yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um all right let's let's wrap this here uh so Kyle just you want to run down like your in your mind ballot early real quickly like would you have Jokic one i believe you said
3: yeah i i think i i was just devil's avid, advocating whatever you want to say uh call that for for the discussion i think it's just an interesting overall discussion in terms of philosophy but For me personally, I really value like floor raising players that you can plug in any situation, and I value two way impact a whole lot because that's just that's basketball. Hey, shocker, coaches do too, Uh, and uh, and I think Jokic is a really really special player. So is Giannis. So is Embiid. And but but I think that for my philosophy of, of of basketball, like Jokic has just been incredible, and I think he's been special, and he deserves it at this point. That's my that's my take. You heard it here first from Kyle Mann,
0: John Morant, DeMar DeRozan, not special players.
3: (laughs) I'll just say this. Direct quote.
1: If the Grizzlies get into two in the league with a bullet, I think this becomes a very, very interesting conversation. And that's the way that this thing is trending. Um, I right now would default to Jokic for a lot of the reasons that you guys have brought up here. Um, It's funny. Zach Cram does this thing called Points Created, which he did in early January, which... uh, cobbles together a bunch of stats, including uh, screen assist, which I have a little bit of a problem with, but uh, that has typically forecasted who will, n- if not win, but definitely be in the top two in MVP conversations. Jokic was one. Giannis was two. And it's funny that you guys both kind of uh, defaulted to those two guys. I will say though, I think Morant, if he k- continues on this uh, uh, heater that he's on right now, the Grizzlies end up two. like, I'm definitely going to be like watching that very closely. I would put him at three right now behind Embiid, but you know, We'll see. Rob, where are you at?
0: I'm similar. I mean, I think we're all in the same general vat of, you know, swirling in the same vat of MB, uh, MVP thoughts. I'm Jokic, Embiid, Giannis. I'd probably put Ja at four for right now, DeRozan at five, but those last two spots are are malleable. They're quite flexible. It's it's LeBron, it's Luka. Those guys could get into it very easily.
1: Unlike LeBron at age 37. Unlike me at age 34. Uh it is very flexible. Um, all right. Thank you to Jake Kyle Mann for joining us this week. You can catch him on Upside High every Tuesday on the Ringer NBA show.
3: Yeah, every Tuesday. Uh, we talk about the the youth movement and uh, and all that jazz, for sure. Not much right. stuff about the actual Utah jazz, but, you know, it's uh, all that jazz.
1: <laughs> there you go. Uh, thank you to associate producer Isaiah Blakely. Uh, we'll be back with Waz next week. We'll see you next time.